This episode of the Relax Running Podcast is brought to you by Rundy's Undies Athletic Underwear. You might have heard of these bad boys before. They were founded in 2015 by my mate and Australian distance runner, Jessica Stenson. You might know her as Trengove. Her husband, Dylan, and brother, Jack. Rundy's are smooth, breathable, supportive, and features soft bamboo fabric in the gusset. Their range for men and women includes jocks, trunks, briefs, crop tops, and new running cheeky little G-string. I haven't tried that one just yet, but I've heard good things. I've tried all the others, and they're certainly comfortable to run in. So jump on over to their website, rundies.com.au, for a 25% discount on all of your purchases. Simply enter the coupon code RELAXED, which is all in capitals, RELAXED25 for that discount. So take that offer while you can. They'll be up there for about the next month or so. It's also brought to you by relaxrunning.com. If you're not a member yet, jump over to relaxrunning.com slash join to find out what it is that our members are getting. I'm sure you'll enjoy that there. We've got a good little community building up, uh, which uh, which I'd love to welcome you into. So you can start your three-day free trial if you uh, just want to get a little bit of a taste for it. Guys, today's podcast is a, is a banger. I'm super excited to post this one because caught up with arguably Australia's greatest female distance runner, Benita Willis. She is, check this out, I had no idea about her range of records until we started recording this podcast. She's Australian record holder for 2K, 5K, 10K, and the marathon. That's not even looking at a number of her other road records. So uh, she's, a, she's a bloody talented athlete, that goes without saying. She's also, she was the world cross-country champion back in 2003, which is unheard of for Australian runners winning world cross-country champs. It's just an insane effort. So uh, it was a real honor to sit down with her. Really cool as well. I, I, I didn't know Benita before this. I think we'd sort of met briefly at a couple of races. She would have no idea. She wouldn't remember that because I was just some up-and-comer at the time and she was already a big star on the Athletics Australian scene. But uh, it was the first time we actually sat down and had a chat and I've heard her speak before and uh, she always sounded like a bubbly character who was really easy to talk to and man, today was no exception. I had a, I had a great chat with Benita. We obviously, we spoke about running and training and everything that goes with that. But we also went down a few little tangents, a few little rabbit holes, which was really enjoyable. So hopefully this gives you another side of Benita that you might not have seen before. Certainly enjoyed it. Really keen to get her back on. So uh, guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast with the absolutely legendary and a new little mate of mine, Benita Willis. you're up in in queensland now i thought you were uh new south wales just because um f- for some reason i had stuck in my head that that greeks and and uh, oh, the greeksons were up in new south wales so when you said you saw them the other day i thought oh new south wales but no you're up in up in queensland hey yeah so yeah so i um yeah i moved here in um 2000 start of 2014 and i kind of i stopped competing after london olympics pretty much um in 2012 and and I had a green card. Um, I was living in America. I've been living in America since 2009. So I just started a business over in America. And, um, and yeah, I guess I maybe still competed a little bit after London Olympics, but my heart wasn't really in it. So I just stopped competing and just focused more on, um, on working and, and doing what I was doing in America. But, um, but yeah, my sister had a baby um, in 2013, her first baby. And then it was really hard to live overseas once 
um, yeah, my sister had had a baby and, um, you know, I'd also also had another nephew as well. And um, it was kind of um, something that, yeah, I thought, oh, yeah, what, why am I living overseas? I might as well just move back to Australia. Um, and, yeah, and I had a house in Melbourne. I still have a house in Lenox Street in Richmond in Melbourne there. But, um, but yeah, I just thought I might, might move to Queensland, even though I hadn't lived in Queensland since I was 17. Um, I moved to Brisbane and, yeah, and, that's, and I'm still living in Queensland, but I live on the Gold Coast now. I tell you, I'm so jealous that you're in Queensland right now. I don't know if you've been following yeah. the news, but good old Melbourne. Oh. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm calling it the dirty state at the moment. I wish I could sneak across the borders and somehow oh. manage to smuggle myself into into Queensland. It sounds like things are pretty relaxed up there at the moment, are they? Oh, we're very lucky. Yeah, I feel sorry. I, I feel for everyone in Melbourne um, and, and around Victoria because it's just, it's so hard and um, it's just, yeah, it's often just um, one of those things that it just gets out of hand and then everyone's got to be back in lockdown and we're, yeah, we're very fortunate up here. I mean, I think we've got to be, got to be careful and like who knows what's going to happen in one or two months time. But um, yeah, we're lucky, we're lucky up here at the moment. Um, and um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think we're just kind of like, we've started some little events. I work for Queensland Athletics, so we've got some little events going and, um, and like all our running groups are, are able to meet up and um, and people are pretty much doing what they normally do. So, um, yeah, we're very lucky, but we feel for for everyone in Melbourne um, and the whole of Victoria because I, I've lived there for a long time and I love Melbourne. And, um, yeah, it's really hard. It's, obviously, I see it on the news all the time and my friends. Um, but, you know, there's so many so many people that I know that live in Melbourne. They're so positive about a, a very hard situation. Um, and I think that's what you've got to you've got to be resilient and and know that you'll get through it. But, yeah, uh, it's tough. It'll be yeah. tough. All right. Well, I'm going fine. I feel sorry for my wife because she goes, babe, I know people are doing it tough here in, in Melbourne, but I don't think they appreciate how tough I'm doing it having to be in lockdown with you for the next couple of months. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can I can only speak on my half of the relationship. I've really been enjoying spending extra time with my wife. I don't know that she can take the same. <laughs> no, but uh, no, we're doing we're doing all right. To be honest, like I um. I don't feel like that this this next level of lockdown really makes a, a massive change for me. Like, it, granted, like I'm I'm quite like I do a lot of work from home as it is, so that hasn't been a, a huge big impact on me. But and my wife is she's ready to pop actually. She's thir- she's about to drive into the hospital now because she's um she's 38 weeks pregnant, which I'm sure everyone on this podcast is sick of hearing about. But uh, she's going in today because the the baby's in breach, so she's just got to suss out whether she's getting the C-section. Um, so I can't I can't go into the hospital at the moment. So I'm just moral support from a distance. But uh, oh, but she's she's on maternity leave anyway. So she's sitting at home just putting her feet up or should be. Um, but she's yeah. nesting so hardcore right now as well. So I keep teasing her because <laughs> the kitchen's cleaned about 14 times a day. The dishes are done 12 times, and uh, we have about four dinners each night. So <laughs> I'm, living, <laughs> I'm living one of my best life. But I feel I feel a little bit for her because I, I think she's doing yeah. more than she should be. Oh God, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully everything goes well. I just, yeah. yeah, I think that's a hard thing too. When, um, yeah, when people are going to have babies or, yeah, all those rules with the hospitals. Um, so yeah, um, uh, good to see that you guys are handling it all right. But yeah, I think yeah. It's, um, I think that's a, yeah, and and you know, people losing their jobs obviously is tough as well. But um, but it shouldn't be for. Hopefully it's not for, you know, forever, and it's it, it doesn't last as as you know. It, the cases go down quite quickly soon. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. There's, I keep teasing Jesse, saying there's one perk to this whole thing. It means your fa- family can't visit as much as they want. So we got the <laughs> 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 which is horrible and a blatant lie. I love them, but it just, it's just like yeah. a little power call that uh, that makes me feel really strong. But actually, it's probably just a sign that I'm an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> so how's um? So you said you you went back up to Queensland in was it 2014? Once you got back from the states. Yeah. 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 So I moved. Yeah, I just moved back here and um. Oh, like, um, I, I, so I was coaching, I had a coaching business in America and I was working at a sports medicine center in Boulder, um, and doing really well. And I came back here and I was still coaching a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it would be quite easy just, just, uh, applying for different jobs. And I thought I've got, I've got three degrees at uni and, um, I found it quite hard when I first moved back, just, just to figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, and I applied for a few jobs, um, you know, with, with quite, well-known at quite well-known places um in the sporting world and I got to the last few in the interview and then they were kind of like well you didn't get the job because you don't have any experience in the job Uh and I was I like I was pretty fired up because I was always like well you know I've been an athlete for you know 15 16 years and like so I've got you know experience as an athlete I've got the experience with the university degrees but like yeah I think I found that quite hard so um just just you know, it was probably hard for a few years to just to figure out what I wanted to do. But then, um, yeah, like Ryan McDonald from Gold Coast Marathon um, asked me to be an ambassador um, at Gold Coast Marathon. And I started doing more work, um, you know, down here. And then I I was um, approached by the CEO of Queensland Athletics, who's David Ginther, and he's still the CEO here in Queensland now, and offered me a job um, just looking after the Q Run program for Queensland Athletics. So it's basically it's a recreational running um, of Queensland Athletics um, and we'd never like affiliated groups with Queensland Athletics we'd always just affiliated those traditional clubs that just do track and field um, so you know running's really exploded here and there's so many of business like groups that are a business or just groups that are community groups and I look after all those sort of groups that are affiliated with us as well as like pretty much every event in Queensland's affiliated with us um, you know for insurance and marketing um, so I go to a lot of events and uh, yeah so um uh, once I started that job you know it was really fun and we've always got awesome people that work there and I've worked there for like um five years now and yeah it's awesome um and you know we've got lots of little events that have already started up again in cross country and um that 10k that I saw Jen and Ryan at uh last Saturday night that was one of that was our 10k state champs and we had like four races of 10k there um which is like unheard of for for us like probably <laughs> Yeah, normally we almost combine the male and female opens together. Um, so, yeah, it was awesome. So, yes, yeah, so I'm very fortunate to, um, you know, to be working within athletics and something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I'm on the board for Events Management Queensland as well and, you know, I'm in the Athlete Commission for the World Athletics. So I do a lot of other things and I've just started my own business um, this year with my partner, Anthony, that's called Lace Up Running. So we do um, online coaching and we've got a group down here on the Gold Coast um, and we're also doing some little events that um, that are starting up soon as well. So we've got a lot of different things on the go. Um, but, yeah, it's good. And I, I've never really had a job that's 9 till 5, Monday to Friday, and I don't think I ever will have a job like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I, I like doing all the different sorts of things, yeah. It's so funny. I always say that, uh, and obviously I didn't get to taste it in the at the same level that, that you did, but I look at the life of a professional athlete and I go mate good luck trying to come back and do a nine to five after working uh, <laughs> after after spending the last 15 years as a professional athlete because the idea I, I keep joking because a few weeks ago when I was trying to or a couple of months ago now I was trying to organize a, a podcast with with uh, Ryan Gregson and yeah. uh 
and I, I was having better luck getting on to, to Jen. And anyway, she's like, look, he'll do it. He wants to do it, but he's just terrible at, at social media and stuff. So she said, just call me and we'll organize it. So I gave her a call <laughs> and uh, she was speaking all quiet. And it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I said, oh, have I, have I got you an okay time? She's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to be quiet because Ryan's having his afternoon nap. And I was like, oh, the poor bloke. I just... <laughs> So yeah, it's funny that uh, it's funny that you say yeah, no chance you're getting into a nine to a five because I don't think there'd be I'm not interested as it is myself, but yeah. especially coming from that background and uh, that you've come from, there's there's even more of a chance I wouldn't. But I, I did see that you've been putting in a little bit of uh, work with the lace up running group, which is which is really good and interesting that you're still pretty keen to stay really involved in the the running world. I didn't know how much you, you still had to do with it, which is I'm always interested to know when an athlete leaves, whether they're just super keen to get away from it or they've just found their, they've found their, their niche and they're just going to stay right in. So um, the online coaching business is, is it pretty new? Did you say? Uh, no, so that, so I've been doing um, coaching, coaching since 2010. Oh, yeah. um, so that was a lot. Of, so that's all kind of stemmed from this business I had in America and, um, which was predominantly online coaching, but we did have um, groups of, of 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 runners that came like from de- places like Denver and Boulder. And we we so we kind of, so I kind of specialised in marathon coaching. Um, but now, yeah, so our, so what I specialise now in uh, would be would be more marathon coaching. Um, but certainly, um, people that want to do any sort of um, any sort of race, uh, I only have a couple of elites, so it's mainly. It's mainly for people that just want to improve their running. Um, and I actually really love coaching people that haven't run much before and, um, you know, want to set a goal to to do a 10K or a half marathon um, or people that have never done a marathon before. Or I got a lot of guys that, um, guys especially, that want to break three hours for the marathon and it's kind of a big, elusive time barrier. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, one year, so I, I've obviously run London Marathon and New York and a lot of those big ones um few olympic marathons but um one year i was injured so i went to the i was living in london i went to the finish at london marathon and i was kind of feeling a bit sorry for myself because i you know i wasn't running and all my friends were running london and i had i was supposed to be in london and so i just thought i'm just going to go to the finish and see you know watch people finish and i thought i'd just be there for five minutes watching people i knew finishing who were all in the you know they'd all finished before two hours 40 um but then you know, I just stayed there and I watched people breaking three hours and it was pretty amazing. And then I just kind of stayed there and watched the finish for people breaking like 3.30 and then um, four hours. And it was really awesome to see people like achieving goals that, that have jobs and have families. And, um, you know, I, and I really admire those sort of people um, just as much um, and even more so than professional athletes because, you know, they've got so much else going on. And um, I know when I started working a lot more, um, I always thought to myself, how do how do you fit into the training? Because when you know when you're a professional athlete, it's you, you think you're busy all the time. But but people that actually work full time jobs and have families and are trying to train for a, a huge lifetime goal, like they're super busy. So it's kind of I find it really interesting fitting training in around you know people's jobs and lifestyles and and their family and you know and what when they can do the harder sessions. I find that very interesting and I love kind of helping those sort of people so I think that's where my passion is but um yeah but our group has a lot of different sorts of people in it and um and I've got people from America um a lot of Americans actually I still coach and a few people in Paris as well at the moment um a few in the UK and quite a few in Australia as well oh that's unreal that sounds really good it's yeah. funny you, you say that because the the podcast that I reckon have been 
probably two of the top five most popular podcasts that, that I've done on here uh, are with Liam Adams and are with Ben Buckingham, who are both working full-time, uh, full-time jobs and running at such a crazy level as well. And I think the reason for that is word gets around because it's it's almost comforting to know that it can be done. I think a lot of people yeah. think, oh, if I, I want to try and break three hours for a marathon, do I have to take time off work? Do I have to, you know, step away from the commitments that I have? And like m- maybe while you have to adjust it accordingly to, to make sure you can get your training in, there, there doesn't seem to be any relationship between um, a full-time job and not being able to perform. And like to put a bloke like, yeah, Liam Adams and, and Ben at the forefront and say, hey, look what these guys are doing with their work. It's it's yeah. pretty encouraging. Have you found the same thing through your coaching? Like there's there's plenty of athletes who are running well, um, even managing full-time jobs, families and things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I, yeah, I've got um, some Americans that I coach um, that do jobs where they're traveling around all the time. So they're always in different, different cities. And um, I've had a few of those guys um, breaking three hours for the first time and, and then just continually breaking three hours and, and running really well. And I think some people, um, when they're less busy, they run worse. Um, I try, like I did a lot of training with Martin Gent um, in the early 2000s. And it was, this was when I was running my best. Um, And he was always just really busy, like working full time. And, um, and he's, He's one of the, I think he's one of the legends of, of the sport in the sense that he always, or he was always so busy, but, um, you know, he, he had some amazing results um, given the time he had to train, but he just made like um, really good use of that time. Like when I lived in London, he was over there living, um, living over there with his girlfriend, who's now his wife, um, Kathy, and they were always working full time. But like I used to train with Marty and, and he was running, you know, running really well. So I think um, I don't, you know, I have heaps of admiration for um, people like Liam and um, and and I don't know Ben, but um, but working people that work full time. My partner works in construction, like he's a foreman, and um, yeah, it, it, they're busy jobs, and um, you know, it's just about managing everything and and being so time efficient and and not doing, you know, I, I think it is not doing any training that you don't really need to do. Like a lot of people do training just for the sake of you know, doing this or doing that, um, that sometimes you even get some injured. And I think the key, the key with running in your best marathon and, and running as well as you can is fitting in everything in your life, but also having that, having that balance, um, not getting injured, but also, um, having a life that's fulfilling. And some people, if they weren't working a lot, I reckon they, um, kind of lose a bit of that motivation and it, and it's, it's evident in their training and they don't run as well as when they're working like full time. So yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of a stigma that you have to be um, kind of not working much to, to be really good or to achieve your goals. But um, from people I coach, you know, and a lot of people it's, you know, it's not, they have to work full time because they, you know, don't have any other choice. Um, But it is about fitting in um, all the sessions that you need to get in um, and not doing any, any stuff you don't need to do and, um, and prioritizing, you know, the racing. So, you know, not going away all the time for races. Like I think you need to be staying in one place um, and getting those training blocks in. That's um, hugely important. But um, but also, um, you know, working out what you're training for and all the other races um, along the way to your goal race are just kind of part of the process and not not really peaking at all for them. Um, I know there's a lot of a lot of top athletes out there that every race they do, they put so much pressure on themselves to be at their absolute best. Um, but if if you've got some big goals, you can't always be at your best at you know in those in those races that you're essentially just using as part of training so I think that's a really key part of a training program that that you need to fit in um, that will help your training progress but yeah those sort of races aren't um, aren't the main goal so 
you know, people that can p- perform in those bigger races, that's where you're going to get all the benefits from um, from everything you've done. And, um, yeah, it's just fantastic seeing those guys do so well with um, with what they do. And, I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised they're popular because, yeah, a lot of people, they they love hearing um, stories about people like themselves, not not someone that, um, you know, they can never have the life of a full-time athlete. Um, so they kind of, it, they can't relate as much. Um, so I think, yeah, um, the more you can relate to, to the people you're coaching and the athletes that you're looking after, I think the better result they're going to get as well. Yeah, it's so true. I love what you said about having something to aim towards as well, because a lot of people with the – mine's not online coaching as much as it's an on, online resource for people to come to and hear from people like yourself. But what I'm really interested in, or, or one question that I think um, probably comes up more than any others is, oh, like, Tyson, I'm interested in getting started with running. Like, how do I train? And I sort yeah. of – I love the question that you just asked. It's like, okay, well, what, what's your actual goal? What are you trying to cha- train towards? Because – this is this is maybe individual to me, but I, I can imagine a lot of people um, in the distance running scene would feel the same. But I always found it so much easier to get up out of bed and do my training when I actually knew that that race day was coming, or that when there was something to to target towards. I've I've been really interested chatting to athletes at the moment and now during this whole coronavirus experience because there's not really just one particular big race like the Olympics or your Diamond Leagues that they've got a target. So it's a little bit like, oh, okay, what what specifically am I training for? And I've noticed a lot of these sort of Steigen time trials come up and um, there's there's been a little bit of incentive for, for the guys and girls to get out and have a real red hot crack. And I wonder how much of that is, first of all, an opportunity to get out and race, but second of all, an opportunity to have something that that they can really uh, they, they can really target. And it's funny as well, like when it comes to planning for a big race, I, I'm interested to hear how you, you dealt with this because you always seem to be a, a really good racer. But um when you had consecutive races coming up if you had a bad run on one day it was really hard to navigate the mindset to make sure that you were you were up psychologically for the next week or two weeks later to get back on that that start line and have a real red hot crack whereas at the moment it's like okay there's a couple of time trials going on there's a 3k here or i think there's a, a mile happening in august but if you have a bad run it's not the end of the world and i feel like the freedom that's come with that like there's been some crazy time trials and stuff that have taken place i don't know if you saw stewie and yeah. Matt Ramsden ran like 7.39 in the last couple of weeks. And then Gregson ran 7.45 in some disgusting weather. (laughs) And uh, I wonder how much of that's got to do with the the freedom that comes with not having a whole heap of races, but still having something to to train towards. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because, yeah, I've seen some of those American groups as well doing some really fast times. Um, And, yeah, I've seen a lot of those Steigen. And they're they're fantastic, those Steigen – races as well because it is really it's it's a really hard time and I think um you know when when we're in lockdown um kind of uh April May um for a lot of our our runners we um we had some virtual challenges that was kind of how far you can run in 30 minutes and then it was another week was a 5k um another week was a mile so all those sort of things just to give people a few different challenges along the way because yeah it is really hard to just kind of train and not have anything that you're focusing on so I think Anyone that I coach, it's really important to have some sort of goal. And you know, we're lucky in Queensland because we do have races opening up and um, we we have quite a big race at the start of September that should still go ahead on the road and um, and some trail races. But, um, you know, if you don't have that, um, you can do those time trials. And I think, um, yeah, seeing some of these fast races around the place from the elites, um, some, sometimes, like, elites love to race. And I, I, I love racing. And um, sometimes when you race too much, your fitness just – you lose that bit of fitness um, if you race for a lot of races in a row. Like it's, I think it's a good good to do a race, like a block of, say, three races, and then you train again for a while. So often we would do 
you know, a block of three races and we'd, go, we'd be on a training camp somewhere. Or if we had a world champs coming up, obviously that was the goal or the Olympics. Um, and, you know, all the races leading up to that in the months prior were kind of just part of the, the plan and the training for that, for that big goal. But, um, yeah, with these elites at the moment and they don't have all these consecutive races, um, you know, sometimes they might be running better than they've run before because they've just got those those few hit outs. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a hard one. I mean, I I always um, I was one of those athletes that I liked being the underdog. So I didn't I didn't like to go into a race um, with people expecting me to win. Um, and which is in, in a way it's it's a good thing, but in another way it's not a good thing. And um, I remember Melbourne Commonwealth Games in the 10K and I was running really well. Um, I should have should have got a medal probably. I came fourth and I was real I was devastated. And um and I remember um, you know, uh, that like it was it was a really tough one to get over and I didn't really sleep much that night after the race. And then I had World Cross Country in Japan the next weekend and um and had my best best result uh, other than winning the World Cross Country, but my my best result aside from that and I got fourth in the the 4k on the first day and fourth in the 8k on the second day um to brilliant fields and I always came back very well after a, a bad result um whereas you know there's some athletes that just kind of have a bit or like people you coach have a bit of a downward spiral and I think um it's that kind of knowing you're in shape and you know if you're in shape by how you're training um you know and what you've been doing in training um and that gives you the confidence to know what you can do in a race so people I coach I always know how they're probably how they're going to race by what they can do in training. And so one bad run doesn't, doesn't make, you know, make for a bad athlete or that you're going to get consecutively bad results. But if you believe it in your mind, I think that's, that's where the problems are. Um, and certainly, you know, I always, um, I knew what I could do, but I did have some races where I just didn't run as well as I could. And everyone has those races, like for whatever reason, that's why running such an exciting sport, because, you know, you could get, you know, 10, 15, 20 top athletes in the world um, race on any given day and you could probably get different results all the time. Um, so, um, you know, but, but it's about what, what you do um, after that race and, um, and, and you know, if you do need to improve, maybe you're not fit enough. Um, you know, I've, I've had a few races where I wasn't quite fit enough and I've done, you know, more tempo runs and kind of fitness work to, to get better over a period of months. And then I I improved a lot. So if you can work out what you're doing wrong in training, that helps. But if you're not doing wrong in training, you've just had a bad race, it is really important to kind of reset um, your mind and and have that belief in what you can do. And a lot of people, a lot of people I coach that are looking at breaking big barriers like three hours for the marathon or four hours for the marathon or whatever it is, um, they, 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 it's hard for them to believe that they can actually do it. Um, so it's a huge stepping stone to really help them get better so if you want to get better at the marathon, you've got to be a bit better at a half marathon and 10K. So I would do that sort of training first before you start um, any marathon prep. Um, so so to be good at the marathon, you don't need to you don't need to be continually racing marathons. You should be doing shorter races first with a few target marathons, like no more than two a year. Um, so yeah, so I think the mind is huge, but also having confidence in the training that you've done and your program, and knowing that yeah, one bad race doesn't make. Um, make for bad performances down the track it's just something that happens like it's it you know and even it might not even be the weather it's just something that happens sometimes and um we're not robots so that's what I always kind of think in running and you can't beat yourself up about a bad result um even though it's disappointing if it's disappointing I always know that if it, it that means you know it means something to you 
um, people that don't get disappointed about a bad result, they're probably, if they couldn't care less, they're probably not really that focused. Um, but it is important to get over it and look forward to the next thing. And, um, you know, not you can't be living in the past of what I should have done or what I could have done or wish I had done this. Um, you've got to really focus on the future. And that's a big thing with um, kind of focusing for the next races too. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's so funny how often this comes to mind during these conversations is I feel like the best athletes do have that real simple approach. And I know um, Troopy, Troopy back in the day was was renowned for his just keep it simple, stupid saying. Like he, he just yeah. loved that yeah. that whole philosophy. And uh, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you can make it so complex and sometimes it does get so complex. But when you explain the actual practical side of what needs to be done, it when you look at it on paper, it's quite simple. But I'm really interested to know, uh, was that something that you had sort of developed in yourself, the ability to just get over a bad race and um, just look at it for what it was, whether it was, okay, was it a bad race? Am I unfit? Was I, am I sick or, or was that something that just came quite naturally to you? Because I think that's the amount of times where I would have a bad race and spend three days dwelling on it and be sort of four days away from my next race. It was just, a, it was just a waste <laughs> of time and, and energy. So I think I look back at my own performances and wonder how much better I would have been if I, if I could have developed a bit more, uh, I don't know, maybe not clung so tightly to the results that I had. And um, you obviously ran at a way higher level than me. So the the example that you gave of the Commonwealth Games and then heading over to the World Cross, like what was what was your headspace in, in that period in between to get yourself ready to ready to roll for? Was it Japan? Yeah, it was in Japan. Yeah, it was it was really hard because the Commonwealth Games is in Melbourne, and obviously, right, like I my, I've got a house in Richmond still, and it was literally a, literally five hundred meters from my house, and um, you know, I had all my family there, and not. Not that that adds pressure, but I think, you know, you just want to do, you do what really want to do well, um, you know, at a games where you live and um, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I mean, I did well. I came fourth, but I, I, I was very, I was except, I had exceptionally high standards for what I thought I could do. And I thought I could have, could have um, done better, but in the race, I just didn't, didn't run as well as I should have. And I remember I, yeah, I just, um, uh, but the night of, of the race, I didn't really sleep much. Um, you know, I just, just, just relaxed a bit and tried to kind of um, just refocus. And then I remember doing a training session around um, near next to the tan, but it was over the um, two little like little bridges. So on the other side of the road to the tan. Oh yeah, the yeah. Grass. Yeah, it was like two k. I think I did four times two k um, reps there, and um, just with a few people I know. And um, and I did a really good session. And I remember, um, you know, I just know. I think you know. Um, like you've got like when you when you know it's there um you know you've just got to kind of relax and and I think I I was always kind of thinking um that I just I just want to um not not show people how well I can go but I I really did like kind of people um you know they're saying oh I'm not sure how Benita's going to go and I just knew that I I, I would go well at World Cross Country but I just had to kind of um run my own race and um and I remember in the 4K, um, Melissa Rolson, or she's married now, she's doing does triathlons, but she was um, in our team. Um, and I remember her saying, like, um, how how do you get out so fast? Because like even in the 4K, I was like right at the front from from as soon as the gun. And I have really bad reaction time. But I think I think <laughs> I think in cross country, I always knew that I was good at like I did. And I never did bad in world cross country, and I always knew. Um, but I was just I was even more determined. I think after. Um, after the Commonwealth Games. And the same thing happened at the World Cross Country when I won in 2004. Um, 
in 2003, I felt like I was going to get a medal, like I was coming third until about 50 metres to go. And this was in, it was in Switzerland, in Lausanne. And I could see shadows coming up either side of me. And there were two, um, I think two Kenyans. And I was sprinting as hard as I could go. <laughs> but like, I knew they were going to pass me. So I went from like third to fifth, like in an instant. And, um, and I was shattered. And like, you know, anyone would be pumped to come fifth at the World Cross Country. And it was my was yeah was one of my best ever results and um but I was just I was so annoyed because I thought I was going to get a medal um and I didn't quite get one and I think that that like kind of fired me up and like made me so determined for that so 2003 was probably one of my best years like I set the 10k national record that year I I got third at the world half marathon um and I ran some really fast races on the track um really good results um on the roads as well and and I think that made me so determined for World Cross Country in 2004. Um, and that same thing happened after the Commonwealth Games in 2006. So I think it was something that, um, yeah, that I kind of just, I don't, I, I'd not prove people wrong, but I was really good at coming back from setbacks um, and then just kind of um, just just running as, like, and, and it has to do with relaxation as well. And once you tense up in races a bit or you start thinking about the wrong things, I think um, you can't, you can't run quite as well and that was always the case with me and when you're relaxed a bit more in a race and you're kind of um you're just focusing on the race but not thinking about too many of the outside um too many things happening then I, I always ran better but but when when races didn't go well for me yeah like it was hard for me to predict how like what races they were going to be but I was always quite good with the races afterwards that's <laughs> so yeah kind of, yeah it's kind of a hard one to explain but um but yeah certainly yeah a lot of like well, my best marathon came um the year after yeah I had a few like not so good marathons um so yeah I think yeah I think it's kind of one of those things where I just wanted to do better but I was a bit more relaxed about it and um and trusted the training and and what I could do as well yeah no that makes a lot of sense that's awesome so it was almost a good sign by the end of your career if you had a big race and a couple before it you had a shocker <laughs> yeah 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 like looking back on it and I mean I used to get devastated when I didn't run well um but yeah you had, you had to just kind of get over it and um and move on and look to the next thing and I think that's that skill you have to like it's, it's a good thing to have in life as well like it's it's important to be upset about something if it's not working out or doesn't go right but you can't dwell on things that don't work out or because you know and you can't dwell on the past you've got to move forward as well yeah it's such a good point it's so funny I'm getting sentimental thinking back to those days and these races you're talking about because I remember remember the old days on a Saturday I don't know if you even cared about this but the old days on a Saturday afternoon they used to have like your diamond leagues and your world cross countries and stuff um just playing on on SBS and I remember I remember that day where what was it 2004 that you won and I hadn't seen the results I remember watching it I saw you running around. I thought, bloody hell, Benita's having a good run. And then <laughs> before I knew it, I, like you'd run across the line. And for me, I was like, mate, this did it. And Aussie didn't just win World Cross, did she? Like, what the heck has just happened here? So I can't imagine how you feel. But even I've got yeah. good memories of the day back in bloody 2004 watching that SBS show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, it was funny. Yeah, because they didn't, they weren't, when I was even on the start line, like I've watched that race on the BBC. Um, and they weren't really talking about me at all. Um, but like I knew, I knew I was in good shape because um, I'd run some pretty good races leading up to it, and I beat um, Dorada Tulu, who who um, who was an Olympic champion over 10k. Like I beat her in a cross country um, only a few months before that race. Um, and I knew, I knew I was going well. Um, I knew I'd run well, but I wasn't 
like I wasn't saying I'm going to win. I just knew I'd be I'd be at the front, um, and I really had to um, kind of run a, a very a very good race and be there in the last lap. Like the year before, I lost a bit of contact um, in the kind of um, third quarter of the race, and that World Cross Country, um, I really like uh, my race plan was, um, you know, just to make sure that I was up there after the first two laps which is after the first 4k and then just making sure that that third lap and if I if you watch the race I, I looked like I was dropping a bit in the third lap um and it's you know it, when you watch people do 1500s or 5ks you know in the 1500 it could be the the third lap that they some people drop off in the 5ks it's like at you know between three and a half k and 4k sometimes people drop off a bit um and I really had to make sure I stayed with with those um those girls at the front there, there was a few Ethiopians and um uh that were there was a couple of Ethiopian girls that were the top top ones there and yeah once I once I had a lap to go I knew that they were tiring um at, at this big hill at the start of each lap so that's when I went made my move but it was the scariest race I'd ever run because I was winning it with 1500 to go and um I knew yeah I knew there was these um African girls chasing me I didn't know how far I was winning by um but like it was one of those runs where you just ran as hard as you could, and um, and I I still remember coming down the finishing chute, and it was the hardest race I ever did in my life. Um, and sometimes races that you win they're easy, but this race was the hardest race I ever did in my life. But um, but also I didn't know where they were, and I was like stri- I was just thinking of the year before and just <laughs> making sure that yeah um, I, I couldn't see shadows this year because it was raining <laughs> and muddy, and so I, I had no idea. <laughs> it's the worst feeling, isn't it? I was laughing before when you were explaining that in two thousand and three when you when those those two Kenyan girls ran past you. There's nothing worse than when you feel your legs start to give way towards the end of a uh, towards the end of a race. I don't know if you have those weird dreams sometimes where for whatever reason you you just can't run. But I've had plenty of races that I've finished that. I go, oh, no, that just felt like that nightmare I had a couple of weeks ago about getting chased by some burglar and my legs aren't working. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a funny, yeah. Sorry, did I cut you off then? No, no, no. I was just going to ask you, I, I, I wanted to um, find out a little bit about your, your time in America. Did you say, was that 2009 that you were over there? Was that later in your career? Did you say that you spent some time in America? Yeah, so yeah, so after Beijing Olympics, um, I yeah, I ended up um, just deciding to. I lived in Newcastle in England for a while, and I was just working um, for Nova International. And they're, they're a company that put on the Great North Run and all the great races in the UK, um, and um, they're great, great people. And I just worked for them for a while because I just wanted a bit of a change. Um, and then um, in 2010, I ended up moving over to Boulder in America, and um, yeah, I was training a lot with Andrew Leatherby. Um, and then um, had a few other people I was training with there. And just because I, I really wanted to make another Olympics, but I hadn't run a marathon. Um, I didn't run a marathon after Beijing Olympics until 2012, till the Houston Marathon in 2012 to qualify for the London Olympics. So I did a few I did a few races, but it kind of just took me a while. Like my dad passed away in 2008 and um, I had a relationship breakdown and a few other things and I just kind of wanted to do different things. and. Um, and just live in one place more than just moving around too much. So I decided to just live in, um, move to Boulder and live there and just, um, and try to make one more Olympics. That was really what I was, what I was aiming to do and what I wanted to do um, living over there. So yeah, it was cool. I ended up um, training with Brad Hudson's group a fair bit um, over there. And um, it was cool just to, you know, meet some different people and um, yeah, and do a, do a few, a few different things. But um, yeah, it was a, it was 
it was good and I've still got a lot of good friends that live over there and um like there's some really good really good groups in Boulder um but um yeah it was a it was fun fun to do something different um yeah yeah I was actually talking to Morgan McDonald just the other day and he's recently oh, yeah. moved up to um to Boulder himself. I think he'd only been there for like a week or a couple of days when we did the podcast and I was so jealous because I um and I felt the same when I when when Trooper was on the podcast a, a month or two ago. I was just chatting to him and there's just I feel like it's the place it's just it's so heavily attached to just just great runners, isn't it? I feel like whenever someone says Boulder, Colorado, I just assume they're a distance runner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, how long were you up there like, for? Yeah. Yeah, I lived there for about five years. Um, yeah, and Steve Jones is there, um, and he's he's this amazing guy. And um, I did run a bit with his um, with his group and caught up with him a lot. And whenever I go back, I'll always catch up with him. Um, and yeah, oh, there's so many so many great athletes that live there, like triathletes as well. Um, and yeah, it's just but it's just one of those places that's um, very relaxing. Like I had a lot of good friends that were um you know golfers or like um people that have been skiers or from other sports as well um and you know it was it was it's a cool little community it's like living in a little country town as well um and um yeah it's just a, a fun place and I mean we did we trained a bit in Santa Santa Cruz um when um like in some winters as well and like that Santa Cruz is a great place too a lot of triathletes live there um and yeah just just really fun, fun towns and um, just nice places to train. And obviously I could do a lot more. I did a lot more races in America when I lived over there than um, kind of going to Europe much. Um, I didn't didn't do many world champs. I didn't really do a lot of racing, um, but I did do, yeah, a lot of the American races. Um, and then I would say, like, I won the Vegas Half Marathon in 2011. Um, and that was a really – I beat a lot of the top American girls in that race because that wasn't long before their trials for the London Olympics and then ran really well in the Houston Marathon in 2012 so those sort of those couple of races were were two of my best races but they weren't my best times but um but a couple of my best races and um you know I had I had more probably more like a lot of a lot more um racing in me and good races in me but then I got injured after um I, I got injured in the lead up to London Olympics so um London Olympics wasn't great and then um yeah then I just just wanted to kind of do something different um so I stayed yeah and I stayed living there for a few more years after that but yeah the pe- people that live over there that and um just there's so many so many people that they're they're really fit and athletic and like the the number of people I think that live in Colorado that are very fit is is huge like it's to be the fittest state in America by far <laughs> so like you know just a regular person that you see that you work with is is super fit um so that's what I loved about it as well <laughs> that just comes with the territory because well there's yeah. a bit of altitude in, in Boulder as well isn't there yeah yeah so it's about 1600 meters um so similar to Falls Creek altitude so it's the sort of place that you can run pretty good sessions because it's not that high but then we'd often go running up in the higher mountains um and I know um yeah like I thought Morgan I thought some of those some of those guys have been in Crested Butte which is a lot higher um and I used to go to Nederland a fair bit, which is a lot higher as well. Like I think it's uh, over 2,200, um, probably probably even higher than that. And that's and then it's like only half an hour drive from Boulder. So you can drive up to higher mountains quite quickly. Um, and then, you know, you can come down to sea level too and do – do. Um, so when we train in Santa Cruz, obviously that's sea level. Um, but you can – yeah, you can get down to sea level quite quickly if, if you want to do that as well. But a lot of people that live in Boulder, they kind of – they call it the Boulder bubble and people just stay – they living there <laughs> I even um I remember going on some runs like um in some kind of higher altitude places 
and um you know we'd park our car somewhere and we'd go on this two-hour run and come back to the car and um there'd be some guy with a shotgun coming out of his um yard going you bolder people you think you can park on these dirt roads and we're not parking on his driveway but like yeah you get these people that live up in those high mountains and they're not used to seeing other people but like they see me they'll see us and they think that we're from Boulder and I'd be like, well, mate, I'm not from, I'm from Australia, but like, <laughs> but we're, I wasn't game to say anything. We just kind of got in our car and left. <laughs> it's always a little bit of a power twist when some bloke's holding a gun when you're yeah. trying to finish your long run. Gee, I've yeah. never heard about this side of Boulder. So what, you've got a couple of people who live outside the bubble of the main town and they're just living that mountain man lifestyle. Yeah. Well, like, so we drive from Boulder to some of these towns and um, just, just do runs in some like, more random places that we know where the trails are but they're not where many people train so like so and there's some there's just random houses scattered around there and yeah they're, they're, these people that live up there they're just not used to be seeing people and so yeah it's just um but I just remember this one time and I was just like yeah I'm just gonna get in the car now <laughs> <laughs> and they're not they're not gonna do anything but like I think they just don't want to see people um as well and they just they just have a go at you because I think you're from Boulder. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. I've got. I wish I could tell you the name of it, but I've got this Neil Young song stuck in my head just since you said that. Some some story about him living at the edge of town, and it's like, mate, I always listen to that song and I go, oh, yeah. I, I wish I was brave enough and and good enough just to live by myself to go out and do that for a little while. But I'm such a. I'm too busy walking around in my skinny jeans with my soy flat white. I just. I wouldn't fit in. I wouldn't. I'm so Melbourne. Um. Yeah, that's funny. That's awesome. Far out the dark yeah. side of Boulder's being revealed. <laughs> B, um, I was interested, like, this could be a silly question because I know you're, you're a marathon girl, but um, in terms of your training, like, were you were you pretty heavy volume or what did your what did your training week look like when you were, like, obviously you probably had phases and stuff, but, like, from a foundation phase to a, a real tune-up phase, what did your training week look like? Was it was it pretty heavy on the miles front? Um, yeah, so I, from, like, earlier on, on in my career, like, I still hold all the national records, um, the 2k 3k 5k 10k marathon national records um so I did I did a lot of the shorter stuff when I was younger um but like I think when I was training for kind of 5k 10k the volume would be between like 140 and 160ks a week um and we'd usually always do sessions like Tuesday Thursday Saturday um and the sessions were something like six to eight times a k um on one day and then we do a lot of tempo runs at heart rate and that was just, that's just because um, it's just really important not to go too fast. Um, and so sometimes it can be varying heart rates. Like my heart rate was quite low, um, even my max heart rate. So um, I always had kind of different, different settings to some of the other people I, I trained with. Um, but even if you're doing tempo runs on paces, um, tempo runs are always something that you should be able to do for like over an hour if you had to. So we'd always do tempo runs that lasted about 30 minutes Um at varying paces and that was they were often on the grass um and I think it's really important to do a lot like we did a lot of grass track training as well um and then Saturday was like hills like three minute hills or one minute hills um and things like that so we didn't do any we didn't do really like um I didn't do any testing in like um like you know gym like testing in the sport science like sports science labs much or um didn't do any work with biomechanics didn't didn't I never had um never had um orthotics or anything like that and I think um I was very much the sort of person that um you know could run the run the weekly kilometers like Monday was always like 60 in the morning and 30 30 minutes in the afternoon and some strides and Tuesday was a session 
Wednesday was the same as Monday. Um, Thursday was a session, and our session days we always ran twice, so 30 minutes in the afternoon, um, one run on Friday, and then Saturday was a session, so Saturday was the same sort of running as Tuesday and Thursday, and then Sunday's long run was like an hour 30 to an hour 45, um, and then we just ran once on Sunday. I did, And I did a lot of body weight sort of exercises. I did a bit of strength, but I never had strength programs um, in the gym. Like I think for me, um, I was always probably quite muscular, and I, I felt like I was strong from doing hills, and, um, and you get strong from doing training on the grass as well. And I think strength training is, is really important. And certainly as I got older, um, so, you know, when I was training for London Olympics, um, I was probably doing a bit more cross training, less volume and more strength training. So as you get older, I think the strength is more important. Um, but when I was younger, I was, I was running a lot more and doing probably a lot more body weight exercises and light strength work um, than heavier strength training. Um, so yeah, so that was generally what the week looked like. I used to get like a couple of massages a week and some maintenance physio. Um, so I had all these areas that just had to keep on top of. So um, probably three, like two massages and a maintenance physio a week. So a lot of things that I knew I had to um, keep on top of. But the main sessions were always Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and all the other days were easy. Like I remember going to Fords Creek to train and um, on the Sunday run there, like, and even the runs during the week that weren't session days, like like I was always running way slower than a lot of people that um, I was kind of a lot far in front in sessions. So there's a lot of people out there, I think, that run very fast on easy days. But then when they do their sessions, they're too tired and they do their sessions at a similar pace to their easy day running. Um, but you need that variation between the days of, of you know, of how fast you're running and, and you need that recovery on the off days. And I think that's even more important if you've got a job because you know, you can't recover quite as quickly. Um, so a lot of people I coach, yeah, they might only do two sessions a week um, because just because we want to get the quality in. So, and then when I went to America though um, and training for marathons, I was only doing two sessions a week because it was at altitude. So it's a little bit, little bit of um, a high altitude there. Um, so you have, you don't recover quite as fast. Um, so in marathon training, um, I'd probably be closer to 180 to 200 Ks a week. Um <laughs> Yeah, so a fair bit, and then just doing like an interval session on Wednesday, and then like a specific long run on Saturday, and that's more kind of marathon pace running. It's kind of um, running a bit faster than marathon pace when you're tired. So say when you've already run, um, you know, twenty twenty over twenty k, running a bit faster than marathon pace, um, because you just want to practice running, running marathon pace or a bit faster on tired legs, because I think that's the key in marathons is how well you're running after 30k um and kind of practicing that that in training um but yeah but then you know i mean i i'd say that volume but i i do remember cross training a bit more in america so maybe maybe i was running more like 200ks a week when i was training for marathons i did in the the mid 2000s so when i ran 222 i was probably doing about that volume but when i ran my my marathons when I was a bit older. So, I mean, and when I'm saying a bit older, I was like 31. So I wasn't that old, but <laughs> yeah, cause I, I stopped competing when I was about 32. So like, yeah, so I wasn't, uh, you know, there's, there's fantastic runners that are running now that are early forties that are similar age to me and, um, and they're doing really well. So I, I tended to do a bit more cross training when I was um, getting towards the end of my career. And I, I don't know what they do, but um, you know, people like Lisa and Sinead, um, and um, you know, cause they're, I think Lisa's about the same age as me and Sinead's a bit older um, and they're 
just doing fantastically well, um, you know, with, with everything they're doing. So, um, yeah, and I, I found I had to balance that that running volume a bit more as I got older. But, yeah, I did do a lot of volume when I was a bit younger and when I ran my best marathon time. So yeah. when I Yeah, well, I was 24 when I ran my best marathon. 20, oh, were no, you really? 20, I was 26. Yeah, 26. Yeah. So that was in – yeah, I ran uh, my best marathon in 2006. So, yeah, it was 26. Yeah. Bloody hell, that's that's quite young for a for a marathon runner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I I did my first marathon when I was twenty four, and that was the year of the world that I won the world cross country in two thousand and four, um, and that was in that was New York, and then um, in I did one marathon after that, um, and then my third marathon was my best one. Yeah, so Gee. I kind of yeah, kind of I did two twenty. Oh, my first marathon was about two thirty eight, and I didn't run very. I, I didn't um, – I should have run a bit better because I'd run 67.50 for – 67.50, half marathon um, that year. And um, I should have run better, but I just didn't. Um, and then I did uh, London Marathon the next year and ran 2.26. Um, and then I went – and then I, w- I waited another year till Chicago of the next year and ran 2.22. Um, yeah, so I, I admire – people that are very consistent at the marathon because I don't have my times aren't like I have don't have really consistent times like I've got um a lot of times that have been under 230 um but I admire these girls and um Jess is one of them as well um Ali Sinead Lisa they're very consistent um Mm. and Karen McCann very consistent times all the time and I think um that's a brilliant thing about the marathon and about um these girls that can do that because that you know you, you've got to you've got to have that focus of um, you know um, you can't be up and down in the marathon. You've got to kind of have that focus of you know this is this is what I'm doing, and you can't let emotions get the better of you. And you know and and the preparation's so hard too. I mean I I I got injured before a few marathons, um, but I think I was a bit aggressive sometimes in marathons and probably started a bit too fast. Or um, I remember one year in Chicago, I had a marathon that didn't go that well. It was hot. I mean I came. I think I came fifth or sixth, so I didn't run too bad. But it was very hot, and I, I, I like all the times were slow. Um, but I was getting fired up because um, there was guys kind of running in the girls' race, like they were kind of kept cutting us off. And um, I remember swearing at a few of them. And, I, <laughs> and I, you can't, you can't do that. Like I tell people now, like looking back on it, you can't do that in marathons because it just, just makes like it, it's you got to be able to relax and not like things like that. Like you can't you can't get so fired up and aggressive. Um, and I tended to be a bit like, a bit more like that. Um, and it was probably because I was so used to doing so like track races and, and cross countries where you've really got to be fired up the whole time to make sure you don't miss any moves. And the marathon, it's more about um, like Mari Yamaguchi. She's another one, a British marathon runner, always consistently, always ran well. Um, and I always watch them and they're just so calm the whole mm-hmm. way. And um, yeah, and I think that's a huge that's a that's a huge part of the marathon that's so important um, yeah it's so yeah. funny you say that about staying calm because I'm the kind of bloke <laughs> who I'm fair I'm, like I'm, I'm quite a calm bloke on a day-to-day basis but I don't know what happened to me but like as soon as that gun would go some of the things would come out of my mouth like, at the end of the race I'd be like I'm so sorry I don't know I don't think I could have controlled that like that was an accident I really like you you're a great bloke <laughs> like forget what I'd said but I can't believe I didn't know you were the 2k record holder I didn't know you're a bit of a speed demon as well yeah, so yeah, I did that in Ostrava, um, and it's a 
it's a golden spike now. Um, but oh, dime might be a dime. It's a yeah. So struggle and like I only ever ran one two k in my career. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. But I think look, I think some of those records are going to get broken soon. Um, so yeah, they've stood for almost twenty years. Um, some of those so two k, three k, five k, and ten k. All those records um, were set in the early two thousands. Um, so. Yeah, but like I think, yeah, I think in the next few years, a few of them are going to get broken, which is exciting because it shows that we've got, you know, depth coming through and, um, yeah, and just some really, some really good talent out there. Um, I think particularly, um, well, we've got some really good guys coming through as well. But, um, yeah, it's always exciting to watch. Um, and I just hope the races open up next year because it is really hard for, for athletes in their kind of prime of their career and to not have any races for a whole season. Um, so, um, yeah, hope, hopefully it all opens up soon. But yeah, yeah I, was, I was like, like I, yeah, I, I was, I was like, like I, I, I think I'm definitely better at some of the longer stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I did. I've got and I've got a few of the road records as well, like five k, ten k too. Um, but um, yeah, but some I can't believe I sometimes I can't believe I ran that fast now. <laughs> That's so funny. Before this before this podcast started, I thought I better just do a quick bit of research just to see what your marathon time was. And I would have guessed like two twenty four, two twenty five, and I saw it. And I was like, oh, wait, a second, I'm just going to double check. So I was going to a couple of different websites, and I was like, holy crap! Like it's just it sort of blows my mind how fast you ran, especially because I ran a marathon a couple of years ago, and everyone who listens to this podcast is sick of hearing it. But I just I ran like an absolute idiot. Like I knew. I was trained. I was running around with um, Mottram's group here, and uh, I don't yeah. know if you know uh, Zach and Newman, great fella in yeah. in Melbourne. And I was training with him, and uh, like over the shorter stuff, I was going quite well. And he started going, "Mate, you're fit. Like I reckon you're going to break 2:40." When my goal was to break <laughs> three hours, and yeah. I'd done no long runs, which was just ridiculous. Even though I knew I should, but I was like, "No, I think I've just got the natural fitness. This is great." And I went through the first half in an hour 19, and I ended up running three hours five. And I was like, "I reckon I got to about." 21 k's i was like mate i'm on this is my comeback race yeah, and then yeah. tw- 23 k's i was like oh, i can't i don't think i can finish with <laughs> like 4k to go like about yeah. a 65 year old bloke shuffled past me he's like keep going young fella i was like oh mate please stop like don't encourage me <laughs> i don't want, i don't want your encouragement i'm so embarrassed not, not that it was a bad race but just in i was embarrassed about how how uh terrible those splits were like if there's anyone that i spoke to about a marathon i would say do the opposite of that yeah yeah well yeah that that sort of like and that it's just hard to go through that as well like it's that's the the hardest way to run a whatever 305 or whatever you ran like it's um you know if you go out a little bit too hard um and that's that's what i always anyone i coach like it's always about um going out a bit slower than you think you can run in the first half because yeah, it catches up with you. And um, even when I ran 2:22, I went out in um, 70:10, and um, and I was just running with the pack, and it felt awesome. And I felt, you know, I felt good. I mean, it felt hard at about 35k, um, but I positive splitted by two minutes. And often people run their best marathons when they're just even, or they negative split a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I probably could have run a better race if I had have gone out a little bit slower. But um, I was the sort of person I was always just good at racing. Like I never. I never took split times in races. I not once ever wore a watch that showed the pace I was running. Um, and so I think it's really important to run on feel and, and to to race a race. That's why I love the cross country because it's about the race. It's not about the time. It's not about splits. Um, it's about where you come. And um, and all, throughout my whole career, all my best runs have been when I'm, I'm racing. I'm not doing a time trial. I'm not 
kind of watching, um, you know, what what lap pace I'm doing. I'm not watching how well I'm running over each mile. Like it's it's about the race, and um, you know, I think that's a really important part of racing. And a lot of my race plans, and um, my coach was Nick Bedeau for a long time, and um, and he always gave us a lot of race plans that weren't about paces or splits, but about analogies. And I think that helped me a lot in races to kind of think about analogies more so than um, than thinking about, oh, make sure you hit this split and that split. And like a lot of people are very analytical and they love splits and they love kind of, um, you know, looking at what times they're doing. And um, But I wasn't one of those people. Um, and, yeah, I think looking back, like at that time I ran 2.22 in Chicago, it was I was just racing and, um, and it wasn't about like a lot of people would have freaked out if they looked at their watch and they're doing 70.10 for the first half in a – in a marathon when your best time's 2.26 going into it. Um, but I, like, I kind of – I felt I felt good and I just run, um, you know, something quite similar to that um, in training and I, I knew I could run a lot faster than that over a flat-out half marathon if I wanted to. Um, so I just kind of kept going. And, I, you know, it's, it's not <laughs> it's not the best way to run a marathon if you're positive split a little bit. But, um, but uh, people I advise, I always – yeah, I always – I'm always a bit conservative with the first one. And then you take more risk with the second marathon you do. Um, and, um, you know, that's 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 what I did as well. I was a bit conservative with the marathon that I did before I ran 2.22. And then when I ran 2.22, um, and you have to go for things sometimes. Like sometimes it doesn't come off. And a lot of the times I went for, I went I went too hard or I went, you know, I did, did stuff in races that doesn't doesn't come off and you, you fail or you could have run better if you were a bit more, uh, a bit less aggressive, but um, I think you learn from those races too, and it helps you get better. Um, because at the end of the day, you want to see how good you can be, and you can't. I don't. You can't see how good you can be if you never fail and you never, you never try for a result that you don't quite get. Um, and I think, um, you know, those results you don't quite get, they know. Then you learn kind of your limits, but it also makes you like like tougher and more resilient and more determined to do better next time. And um, while it's hard to get over disappointments when things don't work out, I think it does help you um, help you improve for sure. And yeah. that's yeah, that's that's a huge huge point. I can look back on my career and think, yeah, I, I I don't think I could have run faster really, or I could have got could have got better results in a lot of things I did. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's one thing I was talking to Ben Buckingham yesterday on the the members podcast was he was telling me because he's coached by Bedeau as well, and he was saying that's yeah. one thing that Peters does really well is he's just set you up as a real competitor going into the race. He's like, mate, just try and that that simplicity thing that we we're talking about again earlier. It sounds like he does well. He's like, mate, just go in. Your goal is just to compete with the people around you. Don't get too caught up on on all the externals that you just can't control. Don't be looking yeah. at every lap split and stuff because everyone knows how bad it is when you start going through. Um, you know, lap after lap and just looking at your lap slips and trying to analyse, is this is this too fast? Is it too slow? Am I okay? It's nice yeah. when you said just to, to be able to go out there and not stress too much about that first half of the run and just try and relax with the, the competition around you. But B, we've been talking for an hour or five. I know you've probably got plenty of stuff to do with your day, so I won't hold you up too much longer. I was just going to ask you, for, for anyone, because we do have a, a relatively, like it's a, from what I can tell, the audience that listens to this podcast are, are relatively new um, and they sound like they fit the mold of the people that you're doing your online coaching with. So I'd love to be able to point them in some direction if they wanted a little bit of um, a little bit of guidance, a little bit of clarity. So where where do they they find the information about you and, and what you're doing with your coaching? Yeah, so just um, head over. We're called Lace Up Running, um, and head over to our Instagram page, or we've got a website that's laceuprunning.com.au, and um, yeah, just send us a message. Um, 
and just yeah just let me know um I, I love yeah I do love coaching people online and um a lot of people that we're looking after now um they're kind of looking at a marathon for next year and so now they're just doing some shorter type training um and that's really important to have a block of training for kind of 5k 10k half marathon type training um because that'll set you up really well for for a marathon next year and um yeah look look us up um I know I always have a chat to people over the phone but we do individualized um coaching and um we also do stuff for trail running Uh, my partner Anthony he's a big trail runner so he loves he loves that scene and um yeah I think everyone's different to what what you love to do so even if you're just new to running or um or or you're quite well established you've been running for a long time and you just want to change like I think a change sometimes um you know they say that's as good as a holiday but you know, a change, a change in the, your program can really help and, and mix things up and, and trying different sessions, I think is a really important thing. So yeah, look us up. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks Tyson. And um, yeah, we'd, we'd love to help, love to help if we can. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. V. Now that's good. I'm so glad we got a chance to do it because I felt bad just continually sneaking into your Instagram inbox going, oi, can we, <laughs> it's such <laughs> yeah, a, it's such a weird balance between like trying to show that you're interested in doing a podcast and looking like a creepy bloke who won't leave the other person alone. So I'm glad you took it well and actually gave me a chance to chat with you. Cause I always feel, man, I've had some awkward experiences, which I, I I've, <laughs> I've talked about too much, just trying to get Jack Rayner on the podcast and thinking he knew who I was and him having no idea. So um, I'll tell you what, this one, <laughs> this one worked out really well. So I'm, I'm glad we made it happen. I have to be, if you're keen, would love to love to do a round two with you. Maybe maybe in yeah. six months, twelve months or something, we'll touch base and because um, yeah. I could talk to you all day, but far there's only 24 hours of them, so um, I'm I'm going to let you go. But but thanks again for stopping by. That was that was good fun. Thanks, Tyson. Yeah, no, I loved it. And um, yeah, we'll have to do a round two next year. Yeah, it'd be awesome.